If there were any uh, biblical character that I could possibly uh, fangirl over, <laughs> it would probably be Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, because I think like saying Jesus would probably be cheating anyways. And uh, the rest of the characters, there's, there's some that are, you know, a little bit of a mixed bag, but Mary is fascinating. We don't actually know how old she would have been when the angel visited her and told her that she was going to bear a son named Jesus. But from what we know of the culture of the time, it's fairly likely that she would have been a teenager. So when I was still uh, in school and had braces and uh, was painfully shy and was on a, a journey of self-discovery, um, Mary was singing, may your word to me be fulfilled to angels and singing a song that would be memorized and sung by Christians thousands of years in the future. So yeah, I could, I could totally fangirl over Mary. For Advent this year, we're going through four songs from Luke that are included in the story of the birth of Jesus, the songs of Zechariah, Mary, Simeon, and uh, the angels to the shepherds. Last week, Greg led us through Zechariah's song and how God wants to rescue us, reconcile with us, partner with us, and guide us into peace. And this morning, we're going to take a look at Mary's song which is sometimes called the Magnificant. You may have heard that term. That's just because that's the first word in the uh, Latin translation. <laughs> There's not a huge significance there. Uh, but the song is its rich with symbolism and imagery, and it pulls from so many different texts from the Hebrew Bible, uh, specifically heavily from uh, Hannah's song, the mother of Samuel. Uh, but there are bits and pieces from all over the Hebrew scriptures, and it's brilliantly constructed, and I think it has a lot to say to us today um, about power and status and importance, and it completely flips the world's view of those things on its head to reveal what God truly values. It feels like it's just as applicable for us today, and I believe that God is ready to speak to us this morning through Mary's song. A lot of the themes that Mary's song talks about are introduced even before the song begins. Uh, and that's because Luke's gospel begins with two interwoven stories. There's the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy to John and Mary's miraculous pregnancy to Jesus. And these stories are not just... Um, two stories of miraculous pregnancies that happen to be next to each other, Luke purposefully writes these stories so that they're basically being told at the same time. It starts with the angel appearing to Zechariah, and then the angel appears to Mary, and then Mary and Elizabeth meet, and then Mary's song is recorded, and then John the Baptist is born, and Zechariah's song is recorded, and then Jesus is born. And so they're both just like happening simultaneously. And I think that part of the reason why these stories are woven right into one another is because Luke does not want us to miss how these two stories compare to one another. One of the major themes throughout the entire Gospel of Luke is reversals. God is flipping things on their heads. What the authorities of the day, both government authorities and religious authorities, view as best, God flips. And he continually chooses people that the government and religious authorities viewed as less than. 
So within the story of Zechariah and Mary's experience with miraculous pregnancies, there's a few different opposites that are present. Uh, first of all, Zechariah is a man and Mary is a woman. And there was a significant power inequality between men and women during the first century. Zechariah is old and Mary is quite young. Zechariah is married and it makes sense for married people to have kids. Mary is not married. Zechariah wants to have kids. His wife has been trying for a baby and Mary is not looking for that right now. Um, Zechariah comes from a priestly line, it says, and Mary's lineage isn't mentioned in the Gospel of Luke, though it does mention that she's related to Elizabeth. Zechariah is literally burning incense in the temple while other people are praying from him outside when the angel visits him, and it doesn't say anything about what Mary is doing. And so it's assumed that she's just simply going about her everyday life. And yet after this, when Zechariah seems like the obvious choice and who sh for who should be favored, Mary is the one who is chosen as the person to bring God's son in the world, into the world. And Zechariah, after receiving his message from the angel, is literally silenced. Yet, both are still blessed. Both receive a miraculous pregnancy. And both of the children are involved in ushering in this new revelation of God's love and his mercy for his people. So with that in mind, let's read through Mary's song. It's in Luke chapter 1. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So Mary's song is using uh, parallelism, which is incredibly common in most Jewish poetry. And it's the practice of saying something twice, but from two opposite ends. So for example, being the line that says, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, uh, and he has lifted up the humble. Both statements are God messing with the power structures uh, of the day and flipping them, but it's being said from two opposite ends, uh, which is, in this case, the rulers and the humble or the lowly. What this parallelism is doing is it's, by talking about two things from, or something from the two opposite ends, the reader is to understand that everything in between is affected as well. God isn't just talking about rulers and lowly people. He's talking about everyone. And it's not just the people at the very top and the very bottom that God is addressing. Another thing to point out in this song is it follows a very common format for Hebrew um, psalms of praise. It begins with uh, words of praise. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The mighty one has done great deeds. 
and then it finishes with reasons for that praise. So he has brought down rulers from their thrones, lifted up the humble, helped his servant Israel, um, those sorts of things. So what does this song have for us today? I think that Mary's song is showing us that the Holy Spirit works through everyday people. Yes, God can use the rich and the powerful, the well-connected and the well-spoken, but time and time again, God chooses to use the humble and the least expected. God moves powerfully through the everyday and the overlooked. Zechariah was a priest in the temple. He likely received hours upon hours of theological training. And Mary, on the other hand, while she is clearly familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, uh, she would not have been given access to the same kind of theological training, never mind the free time to be able to really dig into the scriptures for study. And yet, Mary is God's chosen vessel for raising the Son of God. And I think one of the reasons why we don't see this song used more often in liturgies and worship songs today is that it can make us a bit uncomfortable. Um, there, um, sorry, uh, the whole idea of shattering the proud and bringing down rulers, sending the rich away empty, it, it, the whole business is a bit uncomfortable. And so I think it's helpful to understand that God's reversal isn't that he is flipping everything completely upside down so that the rich are now poor and the poor are now rich, so that the powerful are now destitute and the, the lowly are given vast authority and power. Um, so let's take a look at verse 52. says, He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. So the rulers are those who had power over people. And they were above everybody else. And the humble or lowly, those are those who have been rejected by society, uh, by the people of the time, and are seen as outcasts. They have um, all their power in society has been stripped away from them. But in God's kingdom, the rulers are brought down and the humble are lifted up. The next verse says, he has filled the hungry with good things. So the hungry are those who do not have enough to be satisfied. And then it says, uh, but he has sent the rich away empty. The rich are those that had not just satisfied, but they had a surplus above that. And so they have food left over. And what God says he does is he fills the hungry uh, so that they are satisfied. And he takes away the surplus of the rich. This isn't a reversal. It's a leveling. Power, wealth, status, race, gender, age, all of these things are leveled. We all come before God as equals. None of these things excludes us from being used by God, and none of these things um, gives us privileges in God's kingdom. God isn't making outcast kings or kings outcasts. He's leveling the playing field. He's choosing to work through whoever he chooses, both Zechariah, an old male married priest, and Mary, a young, female, unmarried Jewish girl just going about her life. In Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist will preach the words from the prophet Isaiah that are being fulfilled in his midst. Every valley shall be filled in, and every mountain and hill made low. And I think what's really interesting to take a look at the song is it is, as we talked about, it follows the pattern for a song of praise. So what is Mary actually grateful for? 
What is she praising God for? Her pregnancy outside of marriage would not have been something that society would look favorably upon. There's a huge risk to her reputation in saying yes to the angel and carrying this child. So what is Mary grateful for? She says that God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And at Christmas, sometimes when we talk about Mary and her pregnancy, we talk about how it's, it would be a huge inconvenience, to say the least, for her, and damaging to her reputation. But that is not how Mary sees it. She sees her pregnancy as a blessing from God, that he would be mindful of the humble state of her servant, and yet call her to this incredible vocation. Mary isn't complaining about how people will perceive her. She's praising God. God acknowledges her status in society, and yet Mary is grateful for the honor given her to be involved in God's activity in the world. Mary is praising God because she gets to be involved in God's plan. She gets to be involved in God's radical act of coming to the world as one of us. And what I love about Mary's songs, it's not just about her. Mary's song can be read and sung by everyone who is open to God using them, wherever they are right now. All of our excuses that I don't have enough theological training to be used by God, I'm too young to be used by God in this way or that way, I don't have the authority to do this or that. God's calling has nothing to do with those things. And in God's kingdom, he looks at the heart and not at gender, age, education, or status. All of those things have already been leveled in his eyes. And finally, I think that the song from Mary has something to say to us about what biblical womanhood is. Mary's song here, it, this is the largest set of words uh, spoken by a woman in the whole of the New Testament. And she plays a significant role throughout the life of Jesus and in the New Testament as a central female character. And the song, the claim she's making, this is broad. Mary is making these bold proclamations. If you notice, she starts in the present tense, praising God, and then moves into the past tense, talking about all that God has done for her, and then moves into the future tense, saying that from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And by the end of the song, Mary says, uh, he's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So Abraham, right at the beginning of the story of the Israelites, was the man whom God blessed and said that his lineage, the Jewish people, uh, would be a blessing to the nations. And Mary, as a young Jewish girl, would have grown up with the dream that one day this blessing would be truly fulfilled and that all nations would be blessed through Abraham's family, the Israelites. In this song, Mary is prophesying. She is boldly proclaiming what God has done in the past, in the present, in the future. She is connecting it all to Israel's story and she is prophesying. And her prophecy is all true. So much of Jesus' message particularly in the book of Luke, is wrapped up in Mary's song. Jesus will warn the rich not to trust in their wealth. And Jesus um, will promise God's kingdom to the poor. 
Jesus will fulfill the promise made to Abraham that God will make a way through the Israelites, a blessing for all nations. But not only that, even the fact that God has already come to Mary and has chosen her to carry and raise the Son of God, that is already fulfilling her prophecy. God has remembered the promise made to Abraham. God has been mindful of his servant. But part of Mary's job as the mother of Jesus is also going to be to nurse her child. It's going to be to burp her baby, to change his diapers, to cook him food, and tuck him into bed. It's to pray with him and clothe him and teach him how to walk and to baby-proof her house. Mary will, in obedience to God, play with her son. She will create a safe and loving home from him, and she will hold him when he cries. Mary is a girl who boldly prophesies and also treasures these things up in her heart. Mary calls on the promises of God to Abraham, and she responds to the angel by saying, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary is both contemplative and justice-focused. For the women of God, obedience to him can look like baking bread for communion and prophesying. It can look like visiting with somebody who could use some love and a listening ear, and it can look like calling for the justice of God to reign on earth like never before. And all of those things are obedience to God. All of those things are responses to the movement of the Spirit on earth. As a woman, Mary's song tells us that obedience to God looks like listening to his voice and falling through with whatever God has called us to, the bold things and the quiet, simple things. In God's kingdom, age, gender, race, wealth, status, and even education are not the important things. God is wanting to work in us and show up in our everyday life, no matter what that looks like. We are all invited into the story of scripture. And so this Christmas season, May the song of Mary remind us to keep our eyes open to what God is doing. He may be speaking to us through those we have not embraced, to those who are viewed as less than or less important. And may we also open our hearts and our ears to what God is calling us to do, the God who meets us in the middle of our everyday life and the God who calls us to do powerful and everyday things. Amen. Let me pray. God, thank you for meeting with us today. And I thank you that as people of God, we are, have all received a calling from you. You have called us to be your children. So Lord, may we embrace that calling wholeheartedly um, and await in eager anticipation for all that you will do. Yeah. Lord, we praise you for all that you have done and all that you will be. Amen. Thank you.